This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast right here on 105.9 The Region, exclusively part of our Discoveries block. I'm Shaliza Bacchus. I'm Afwa Bond. We're back with another episode. Welcome back, back, everyone. All right. So the summer's winding down, but wedding season is just in full effect. It's hot, right? As soon as things started opening up, everything just started booking up. Literally. Left, right, and center, everyone's getting married. Every weekend. Every weekend. And I myself, I just went through three weddings. (laughs) Uh, I'm still ma- waiting for my wedding invitation. I know. At least one. I know. I've bought so many party dresses, not one wedding yet. I'm like, so Wh- what's, what's I don't know on? what alternate universe crash you one. are living in. <laughs> you should. I should have just brought you along. I'm, I'm a part. I'm a part of y'all. So one of the three weddings. But uh, <laughs> one thing we do want to talk about ahead of or in the midst of wedding season, I should say, is finances. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, there's actually this new survey from PC Financial that hmm. reveals that almost 70 percent of Canadian couples don't discuss finances frequently before getting married. That's a large number. I'm not surprised, but I'm also surprised that that's a large number considering you're going into such a lifetime Till death do us part commitment, hopefully. And you're not talking about the big thing. <laughs> yeah, like finances are a big deal. And, you know, it's weird. Like, you're not going to discuss your finances. Like, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And uh, it also uh, reveals that uh, 76% of married Canadians say that they're confident having financial conversations with their spouse. And it's critical to practice the money talk before taking that next big step. Yeah, makes sense. To talk more about this, we are joined by Karina Lemke, who is a wedding planner, and she wants to share some tips for successful wedding celebrations without breaking the bank. Hey, Karina, how are you? I am fine. How are you? I mean, I heard that discussion about sort of three wedding invitations uh, for you in the last little while. I just finished a like a 10 day run. I did five weddings in in nine days. Oh, oh, <laughs> I almost choked. It's, oh my it's, gosh. It's completely bonkers out there. It's like, I mean, you would think after the pandemic where everyone was kind of, you know, holed up with their significant other for a long time that they wouldn't be, you know, super eager to actually <laughs> kind of recommit. How are you um, still awake, Karina? I'm barely awake. It's Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my eyes are being held open by toothpicks, but this is radio. So you can <laughs> I know we can't tell. We can't tell. It's fine. It's, it's crazy. I mean, people are getting married very quickly this summer. I mean, the, the average time that we used to see as a planning window was usually about a, a year and a half to plan a wedding. Uh, we're dealing with a triple cohort this year where we've got people who are still hung over from 2020, still trying to get married. And then we've got all the new recruits. And then a lot of people have just jumped in, you know, just really quickly to basically say it's open. We don't want to chance it. Let's just get married. And these are not small parties. These are like big parties. These are the same size that we had pre-pandemic. They're, you know, anywhere from 100 to 250 people, not 30 people in the backyard like we did in 2020 and 2021. This is full real deal with budgets that are in excess of, you know, 50 to $150,000, which is the Canadian sort of uh, range of spending for weddings. I don't know if you know that. Are you still there? Hello? (laughs) That's a down payment for for a home. But we all choose how we're going to spend our money, right? And I think um, to your point and to the PC financial point as well, 
Um, it is really important that we have these discussions about money. When you start looking into where relationships crumble later on, it's usually over two things, money or kids. So we can't always have the kid discussion before we walk down the aisle, but we certainly can have and should have that money discussion. Wedding expenses, natural springboard into who pays for what, right? Like who's paying for the flowers? Uh, okay, I'll pay for the flowers, but you'll pay for the DJ. Or are we all pooling our resources? Like it's, it's, it's just a very natural kind of launch pad for those discussions. Now, Karina, money is just a very sensitive topic in general. So why do you think that people aren't necessarily embracing these conversations before heading down the aisle? Um, well, I think that when you're getting married, you're looking at couples who are often, I mean, now it's a little different. Years ago, you were coming right from your parents' home into your own shared home as a couple. Uh, you know, you'd never really sort of experienced the, the creation and division of household tasks household labor, household resources. Now people are a little bit, you know, they're a little older and they might have their own place uh, to start or they might have been, um, you know, kind of shacked up before they they get down the aisle. So they are certainly sharing some expenses, but there is not generally full disclosure. Money is very sensitive. Yes, people are comfortable having some sort of money talk, but they're not super comfortable sharing their credit card statements with their mm -hmm. spouse. Um, I've been, you know, with my husband for almost 25 years, and I can tell you that no, I, I so would not be doing that. Um, <laughs> but yet we share other things, right? We we naturally divide who pays for what in our relationship, and there's no stigma attached to it. Um, we don't fight over money, but a lot of people do. There's a tendency to not talk about things that make us uncomfortable, and money, if it makes us uncomfortable, it's easier to shy away from and pretend it doesn't exist but you can only delay the inevitable for so long. Eventually, you're gonna to have to figure it out. So wedding planning, really good opportunity to have that discussion. Who pays for the DJ ultimately will lead to, um, you know, who's paying for the hydro bill later on, or who pays for our weekly groceries, or are we splitting the mortgage half-half? These are all, the wedding discussion naturally springboards into those discussions, in my opinion, anyway. So on an individual level, we've already seen that people are racking up a whole lot of personal debt on their own because they don't know how to manage money like themselves on an individual level. Now they're coming together to 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 marry someone. So you're you're sharing a life with somebody else. Knowing that you don't have that comfort level with money, how do you even begin to get into those discussions in terms of divvying up the coin with your partner? If you're uncomfortable, like to begin with, what are some sort of baby steps to ease yourself into those conversations? Well, I think if you're planning to have a party, meaning a bit like a wedding, small or big, uh, it is a really very easy discussion, like to, to just have how many guests are we having? Oh, did you want to have 40? Well, I wanted to have 150. Okay, so where are we going to land? Once we land on that, did you want to get married in a barn or do you want to get married in a hotel? That's a good question. And then it's followed up with, well, where where is our budget going to be? Is it is it 20,000? Is it 50,000? Is it 100,000? And how did we come up with that number? Did we do our research on it? So I think the baby steps are trying to figure out, you know, what kind of wedding you want, doing your research to figure out how much it actually costs because anyone can pull a number out of the air, but it doesn't mean it's grounded in any base for reality. And we live in a big country where the markets, they range tremendously. If you are getting married in a big urban center, uh, you know, like a Toronto, a Montreal, a Vancouver, it is going to be more expensive than if you are getting married in a smaller community that is farther afield, that has fewer vendors and where just operating expenses are, are a little bit lower, a lot lower in some cases. So I think doing your due diligence and your research based on where you live and what things cost is a really important step to figuring out what your budget is going to be. 
once you figure out what your budget's going to be, you can figure out, you know, how you're going to pay for it. As a couple, do you have the money saved? Are you expecting parental or family contributions, I think is a real hot button topic for a lot of people, because sometimes a couple will say, oh, well, I just assumed that so-and-so's parents were going to pay for everything. Um, well, no, not necessarily. And if they're not, then who is? Are we paying for it? Do we have the money saved? Or are we going to start to finance our wedding? Going off of that point, like, are there some, I guess you could say, financial behaviors that people can look out for in their partners even beforehand? You know, like sometimes you'll Those notice your partner. Yeah, like for me, like, you know, you can't keep me away from a makeup store. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to reel that in a little bit. Like, what do you think that people should You didn't be mention Starbucks? For? Okay, I, I, just, I just wanted to give one example, okay? I mean, I ain't your partner, but I'm just- You, I'm just you don't you. have to throw me under the bus. <laughs> like that man come on well i think it's extraordinarily important to figure out and the wedding gives you an opportunity for this to figure out whether you're on the same page in terms of your financial styles right are you savers or are you spenders because if you both agree on how you're going to either spend or save you're probably not going to have conflict um i had a call yesterday uh with a couple who they're they're getting married in a few months after this call she was crying her eyes out on the phone because they hadn't figured out their finances and yet they're plunking down money on a whole bunch of things one of them was an extraordinarily high purchase for a small wedding it was more than a third of the budget the groom had basically just said we're having this without really consulting her when there are tremendous discrepancies between your spending styles and not involving your partner in those big money decisions it's, it's a bit of a red flag so i think it's a, a time where you would be cautious if that happens Transparency is important. I think as a couple, maybe, you know, often we have a ceiling as to what we can spend, like, oh, uh, we don't need to have this checked by our partner if the, if it's a purchase under, you know, whatever the dollar value is, it's comfortable, like $200, $300, $500. But, you know, if you're starting to spend 1000 or 5000 or 10000 out of a shared pool, a shared resource that's supposed to go for your wedding, maybe that's a problem. Fair enough. Fair points. A question in terms of your experience uh, as a wedding planner. You read my mind. <laughs> well, let's see where we're going there. Um, your, and your experience as a wedding planner, who have you seen to be more of the spenders and or savers? Is it the ladies and is it or is it the the men? And in your sort of appearing, uh, opinion and experience, why do you think that is? I think, well, this this is a discussion then on sort of, um, you know, kind of gender based relationships. And that's probably not super great topic to discuss right now because everyone has very different views on this and it's kind of excluded. But if we're doing that, if we're going to go down that magical road and go on gender, usually the women are the bigger spenders in terms of discretionary things. Um, they're the ones that are usually needing to be reined back when it comes to the pretty things like floral decor and God forbid shoes. You know, if, if you tell a, a guy that she needs three pairs of shoes to get married and each pair of shoes is costing, you know, 800 to $1,500 a pair, he's probably going to have a fit, right? <laughs> and yet that happens all the time. I did a wedding last week where the bride had six gowns. See, now, had I thought Indian weddings were, were extravagant. Yeah. With just like the two or three outfits, but dang. Oh, six, six gowns. He only had one outfit. He spilled one. <laughs> <laughs> And Karina, one more question based on your experience, like if you're comfortable sharing, have you seen couples actually get into it when it comes to finances, like with what they want or arguing about things or not being able to afford things that they want? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, most of the weddings that I do, I, I do tend to be very transparent as a planner and I do tend to have the budget talk. I force it very early on because if I don't do it, it may not happen. And if it doesn't happen, 
at the early stage where we can change things, then it happens very late in the game. And then it's too late to change things. And that's where feelings get hurt and people get upset. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as a planner, I would be remiss in my duties if I was not entirely transparent um, on the subject of cost and financials in the very early stages. So when you don't have that discussion early on, it does generally lead to difficulties later on. Um, I have had lots of tears. I've had lots of couples who get very upset with one, one another. And, you know, it doesn't bode well for their wedding day if they're really in a state of conflict just prior to walking down the aisle. As someone on the outside who's watching them, it usually signals that there's going to be monetary trouble in their relationship later on because they've had this opportunity to work things out the planning of the wedding, the dealing with the financials of planning the wedding. That's the work that we do before we actually have to do it for realsies. When we are in a relationship where we maybe have real estate together and maybe we're having a child and maybe one of us is not working because we're having a child and caring for a child. And suddenly we have to be dealing with the finances in a very different sort of way. If we're not open about it before when everything's good, how are we going to deal with it later on when things are generally a little bit harder? Yeah. Yeah. And so then in those situations when there's those difficult conversations and let's say that there's a complete impasse, how do you help those couples diffuse that situation or at least find that compromise when both sides are like, nope, I want this. And the other side's like, I want this too. Well, then we have to be realistic and we have to actually, you know, take out the very sharp pencil and we have to start cutting line items, right? Because money is, it's not elastic, it's not fluid and it doesn't come from an endless pool, right? So if if money is a source of conflict, we really have to sometimes rein things in. <laughs> I guess uh, that's a conversation to have with somebody else. I think you hit a sore spot there. <laughs> I, I love the I, photo I, 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 you know, I was staying away from Starbucks. Right? <laughs> like I, I, I picked up on that little nugget. and I Everybody is just that. coming for me today. Karina's just hitting all the spots today. Whatever. You know what? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not getting married yet. So. <laughs> you know what? When you do, I mean, I think the most important thing is sit down initially figure out how much what you want is going to cost figure out if you're on the same page as far as what you want out of the experience of getting married all right some very very helpful tips from karina lemke a wedding planner talking about financial tips for new couples headed into a marriage wedding planning wedding season's almost over but it's not over yet so these conversations are very important to have karina thank you so much for joining us you are very, very welcome. I do hope that you get to break out some of those dresses later on this season. <laughs> Listen, I will wear them to the to the trash. If I'm taking out the trash, I will wear that ball gown, you know, in confidence and walk right back home. Like, yep, one down, five to go. And Karina, if our <laughs> listeners want some more information, where can we find you and connect with you? You can find me on KarinaLemke.com. So it's www.KarinaLemke.com. Thanks, Karina. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Hey there and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe, and brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Before we get into today's show, did you know that Discovery and moreover Mental Health Moments is on all major podcast platforms? It's true. Check it out. If you want to get Discovery and Mental Health Moments on Audible, you can get it there. If you want to get it on Google, you can get it there. If you want to get it on Spotify, Apple, etc., etc., wherever you get your podcasts, you can get Mental Health Moments and Discovery. 
Now, when you move in with your partner after dating for three and a half years, it's supposed to be a relief. Finally, you get to be together more than a couple hours at a time. But for my fiance and I, relief was the last thing on our minds. Before I go any further, I wanted to provide a warning of sorts. No, 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 not that kind of warning, a trigger warning. The conversation you're about to hear is about the year my fiance Ainsley and I lived with bed bugs. And anyone that has a fear of bugs or has gone through similar experiences may have a hard time listening to the story. So I just wanted to give you a heads up just in case if creepy crawlies make your skin crawl, understandably, this may not be the conversation for you. But if you're curious, by all means, stick around. It's a it's a great conversation. Joining me for her mental health moments debut is my much better half, Ainsley Black. Welcome to the show, Ainsley. Thank you for having me. Now, I wanted to bring you into the conversation because, frankly, I didn't live this alone. And I thought that your insight could speak to how heavily this living situation turned into a mental health journey more than anything. And before the interview, I was promoting it on social media by asking others to think about words that they associated with bed bugs whether that be icky, dirty, whatever the the words they might use. What are some of the words that you associated with bed bugs beforehand? And did that change when we started living this situation? Because I know for me, a word that I, I associate with bed bugs now is hopelessness and, and shame. So what, what about for yourself? Before we got into that situation, I didn't really have bed bugs on my radar, so... I didn't really think too much about them, but once we kind of start dealing with it, yeah, I think I was getting similar feelings of of shame that we were experiencing it and kind of that fear of going to bed and just waking up with another bite and being itchy for days. It's like mosquitoes on steroids. The, the part that kind of surprised me actually living through the scenario was was the idea that, you know, they were ever present and uh, you know speaking of word association i always thought it was like a dirty thing that if you lived in in a ghetto in a favela that kind of thing that's where bed bugs come from but you know obviously that's not the case yeah i think that's where kind of some of the shame feelings came in and it was also like the fact that we couldn't see them half the time we tried very hard to get rid of them it's you just kept feeling dirty because we couldn't figure out how to get rid of them and no one was really helping us get through it. I, I keep thinking back to the shame feeling because I know I was reluctant to go into work because I didn't know how to explain why my eyelid was swollen, why I had scabs all over my arms. And I'm sure it was kind of the same for you when you were dealing with your bites as well. At work, too, we've talked about having bed bugs and stuff and, like, all the precautions we take at work to prevent them from getting there. So, yeah, it was that worry of, oh, am I going to be the one that brings them in to the house and things like that. So I get the shame. Keep in mind this that this is a mental health-focused show. I do want to kind of keep the conversation around, you know, the the impacts on the psyche and what it does for someone mentally. But you are much smarter than me. I think that that's obvious to anyone that knows both of us. If there is someone that's listening to this out there that's might be concerned that they're that these bed bugs are in their home, what what are some of the things that people can look out for? 
I mean, the bites look similar to mosquito bites, but they're much redder and aggressive. And we, like I said earlier, we were having a hard time finding them ourselves. So I think just educating yourself on what they look like and even beforehand, like doing the research on the places you want to live in or go to to see if there's been issues in the past. Like it's a lot more effort, but in the long run, just knowing what they look like and and where they're present is uh, a great way to help you in the future. Back to the brain. Early on in, in the saga, we got our apartment treated and for a couple of months we were free there. So what I, what I wanted to ask you was thinking about the fact that we were a couple months removed or a couple months without them for a while there. And then, and then it became a never ending saga where we had been treated five, six, seven times and they were still coming back. Did your feelings on them, like, were you starting to feel worse and worse the longer it went on? Or do you think that it was just the same level of stress? Just you couldn't get a break from it because they kept coming back? I mean, I think when we had those few months where nothing was happening, I was feeling a sense of relief and like I could finally be comfortable in this apartment that we had got together. But once they started coming back, yeah, I think it was that after, like, the third and fourth treatments, it was like, this is never going to end because normally you're only supposed to get, like, two treatments. I got stuck in this loop of, I don't want to go to bed because I just don't want to deal with it. Which which is completely fair. And, you know, speaking from my own perspective, because, you know, we were obviously both a part of what was happening here. The part that I struggled with was trying to be a rock for you while you were having a hard time. And was that the same for you that like when you saw me losing my cool that you it was hard for you to be like, it's OK, it's going to be OK when you weren't even necessarily believing it yourself? Yeah, and I kind of think we uh, took turns with uh, losing our cool in these scenarios. And it's hard because we even both got it into our heads that we couldn't go to bed without thoroughly checking the bed to make sure there was nothing there. And even then, that wasn't enough for us to be confident that nothing was going to happen that night. So it's it was hard to be strong for the other but I think it almost helped to strengthen us mentally and it like made our bond stronger that we were able to be there for the other when we needed it but changing topics a little, little bit I was hoping you would lay out for our listeners here what are some of the the lasting I don't want to say side effects, but some of the, the lasting impacts from this, because I know for myself, the slightest itch, I instantly tell myself, oh, God, no. Yeah. And, and it, it, is it the same for you? I, I know that you've developed some some quirks, for lack of a better word, in like a direct correlation to this. Yeah, I think it's the same thing that I've 
even with it being mosquito season and us in a new place, every mosquito bite, I'm like, oh, what if, what if it's a bed bug? Like, I can't tell anymore. When we first moved into the new place, I still stuck with the routine of checking the bed every night for at least a month because I was so convinced that they were still there. Just getting into bed would make me itchy, even though I knew they weren't there. So some of those things are still lingering, but they're not as bad now that we were a few months removed from it. And obviously, I feel more comfortable being around other people uh, more often. And, and I did, but I still had that lingering feeling of, oh, they're just going to come back one day, like... I know from a logical standpoint that it's likely they're not going to. I, I just want to throw it out there for for those uh, listening that while we're having this conversation, my leg has become extremely itchy <laughs> because that's one of the lasting impacts for myself is that just the, the thought of being back in that environment has become like a, I don't want to use the, the acronym PTSD because I, I feel using it kind of diminishes what people with PTSD experience, but that's how it feels to a certain extent that we've experienced something traumatic and there is serious lasting impacts from it. You know, in, in a previous episode, I, I dug into the idea of finding positives in all things. I spoke about 9-11 resulting in, in just a picture perfect example of decent human beings. I spoke of, uh, the latest mass shooting in Illinois and how it, it united people and, the whole point of that episode was digging into positives. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, Ainsley. Thinking about our situation, thinking about what we went through, despite all the 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 negatives and the draws, what, what's something positive that you can say about this experience? I have one, but I'm curious what you think. I feel like ours is probably the same, that it strengthened our bond as a couple because we learned to lean on one another when we were struggling mentally and physically, I guess, from all the itches. But yeah, I feel like with it being our first place together, it really made us like build that connection even more than we already did. And it kind of solidified that we can deal with a lot together. From another viewpoint, it also made me realize how much research you need to do when you're living in Toronto, when trying to rent a new place. You're correct. I, we absolutely had the, the same thing that I, I think a positive from this scenario is that you and I were even more united in our relationship than we had ever been. It showed both of us that we have strength that we didn't necessarily know we had. Obviously, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I think that it's important to know that in those moments, uh, for anyone that might be experiencing this, that could experience it in the future, there's there's certainly light to be found. Asking you the traditional mental health moments question, if there's someone out there that, that's struggling with their mental health or even with a, with a bed bug scenario, what would you like them to know right now? It's good to know that you aren't alone in this situation and there's many people who are also dealing with this type of situation and that you shouldn't feel shame about it. Like if you are struggling with something like this, then 
like find someone. Whether it is a, a pest problem or just a mental health concern in general, I think it's important to know that even when you feel alone, when you feel alienated and isolated, that's not the case. There, There is someone out there that's willing to listen, even if it's uh, a, a help phone or whatever it is. No one has to suffer in silence. And even when it comes to bed bugs, it sucks. They they obviously have an impact on your life, especially when it's sustained, but it's not it's not the end of it. So very well said, my love. Before I get out of here, I just wanted to shout out Addison Pest Control. They helped us finally rid ourselves of the problem. Their staff was incredibly insightful, honest and reassuring. On the phone, they walk me through what they think we should do, the cost of what they think we should do, and in person, they explained what they're doing, the way the critters operate, and the best part is both times we had them in for a spray, the person doing the spraying reassured us that this isn't a forever problem. And frankly, the the second time I had the gentleman in, he literally told me, you won't ever see me again. Have a great life. Until next time, you are loved. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.